On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also, or also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. And after this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples and they stayed there for a few days. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray and let's ask God to help us to understand His Word to us tonight. Our Father in Heaven, thank You that You love us and that You call us Your own. Is there anything more comforting to know that we have our Heavenly Father's very heart, that You were crazy about us? And yet, O oh Lord, tonight uh, we come in here, if we, if we admit that, we, um, that we, we need You tonight because... Um, of where we have failed to live up to how you've called us to live, and where we have not been the men or women that we have longed to have been. Lord, many of us come in here tonight um, not sure what to make of you. We are skeptical. And so we, um, we sit here almost um, jaded of heart, longing to know if you're real, and we're wondering if we'll give this Christianity thing one more shot. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us tonight if we're there. Others of us, Lord, are um, longing to know how in the world we're supposed to be a Christian on a college campus. And so we're coming here tonight for hope. Lord, others of us just want to know you more. We long to understand what it is that you would have to say to us. We've gotten a taste gospel and we're longing for more of it. Lord, wherever we're at, you know us better than we know ourselves and so we ask that you would remind us of the great grace that comes to us through your son Jesus. Make him clear tonight, we pray. Lord, use my words in a way that would be effective. Protect these students from things that I would say that make no sense. That don't, um, they're not accord with what you have said. I pray for us tonight, Lord, that you would show us the beauty of Jesus and it's in His name that we pray. Amen. Well, tonight we're looking at John chapter 2, and I just need to say from the outset, I have been greatly helped by a few men. Uh, the first is a pastor on New York City, Tim Keller. Uh, for those of you who have been around, you know that I love that man, and uh, I sort of have a preacher crush on him. But uh, he has a great book called Encounters with Jesus, and I would recommend it to you if, if what we are talking about tonight is really helpful for you. Encounters with Jesus. It's a great, small little book. Uh, I highly recommend it, uh, and I'm borrowing heavy from that tonight. Also, I have a dear friend at the University of Georgia. His name is Justin Clements. 
Justin's been a dear friend of mine for years, and he's helped me think through some things tonight. So I just do that for integrity's sake. Uh, you know, it's important that we teachers and preachers uh, claim what is ours and what is not. And so plagiarism really exists, and I want to protect y'all and me from that. So um, tonight, you uh, notice that we are reading about this miracle at Cana, this water in the wine miracle. It's probably very familiar for some of you if you've been around church, and it might actually make you say, why is this so important? And what all is going on here? Well, the first thing I kind of want you to see uh, tonight is that Jesus, uh, it says in here in verse 11, you saw this, it says, this the first of his signs. Now that is very important language because throughout the book of John, we're going to see a series of signs that Jesus does to show us something. Now, signs, as you well know, a point to something greater than the sign itself, right? And if you miss the sign, you will miss the thing to which the sign points. I mean, think about it. If you're driving in on the highway from 35 south and you're you're driving north into Fort Worth and you see a sign that says Fort Worth 34 miles, you would never pull your car over, unpack your bags and say, we're here, we've made it. No, because signs point to something greater, right? If you miss the sign, you will miss the thing to which the sign points. Now, uh, I want to share a story with you of a fellow who missed the sign. His name was Derek Mosley. And uh, one day he strolled into a discount gun store with a baseball bat. And he smashed a glass display case and tried to steal a firearm. Yes, you heard me right. He tried to rob a gun shop with a baseball that. What happened next? Well, the manager pulled out a gun of his own, pointed at Derek, and kept him in the crosshairs until the police arrived. I think you could say it's fair to say that Derek missed the sign out front that said, Gun Store. (laughs) In other words, if you miss the sign, you miss the thing to which the sign uh, points. Why do I share this with you? John is telling us something about who God is and about what He is like. And tonight, we are going to see that Jesus is going to be on display through this sign of turning water into wine. Now, this is a great question for us. Jesus here in this text, y'all, performs this seemingly small miracle of turning water into wine. And I don't know about you, but... If you were going to begin your ministry, would you start here? Think about it. We're in the middle of, well, we're actually kind of starting up with political season, right? And every time a political candidate makes his or her candidacy known, right, the very thing they come out of the gates with is their best. They're strongest. They're powerful. The message must be clear. It must be concise. It must pack a punch. And yet Jesus does not here begin with, exercising a demon-possessed person? I don't know about you, how would you start a minute? Would you raise a dead man? Would you heal somebody who was sick? Would you walk on water? That would be pretty powerful. That would be quite showy. But instead, Jesus starts His ministry with a miracle by turning water into wine. And what that means is, is that this sign, seemingly small, is actually packing a powerful punch tonight that we want to look at. And so that's where we're going to go tonight as we look at this thing. But the sign itself is going to show us three things. 
It's going to first show us a problem. The sign is also going to show us a provision. And the sign, lastly, is going to show us a promise that's made in the text itself. So let's start. Promise, or problem, promise, and then, uh, sorry, problem, provision, promise. There it is. My P's are all messed up. Um, Sorry, I could make a P joke right now. Oh, just anyway. Um, The sign shows us a problem. Look in verse 6. Do you see what's going on here? Jesus has come to this wedding. And what has happened is, is that the wedding, uh, the, the, the wine at the wedding had run out. Now, back in those days, weddings were major events. You think you got bridezillas today? Listen, y'all, um, weddings back then were a massive community affair. And they lasted for days, if not a week at a time. The people from the village would gather and they would just celebrate days on end. And for those throwing that party, for the party to not go out, to it to not go as planned, would have been a major, major, major social faux pas. It would have been to bring great shame upon you and your family. And what you have to see here is that when the wine runs out, the party is over. I don't have to tell you that. Think about this. What happens when the beer runs out? Everybody goes home. Right? That's what happens. I'm not, I'm not saying that that should be you. I'm just telling you that's the world that you live in and we can name it. The party runs out. The party is over. And what happens is, is Jesus' mother says, they've run out of wine. Go fix it. Before we get there, though, I want you to see something else. Did you notice these, uh, this idea of the purification jars? What in the world were these purification jars used for? Well, those purification jars were symbolic gestures to begin to say that we ourselves must be clean on the outside before you can partake and party in this party. Now, what was interesting, though, is those, those jars pointed to a greater and deeper reality, one that was not merely external, but internal as well. In other words, that cleanliness wasn't merely an external problem. It was also an internal problem as well. They were pointing to the deep reality that all of us, no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, on the inside, you are flawed. All of us are needed. Cleansing. Now, I read this great article from the very serious and uh, highly uh, prized journalistic piece. You might know it as The Onion. And um, The Onion is a, is a satirical online website. And one article I read uh, highlights the fact that all of us live, listen to this, with a deep and abiding sense that we are not who we long to be. You can stay as still as you possibly want, but that is true of every single one of us. We're all fakers, all of us, to a T. And listen to what the article, quite humorous, truthfully points out. I'm just going to read it. It's pretty funny. Sources confirming that everyone, absolutely everyone, will finally figure out today that your entire life is a desperately fraudulent joke and that you yourself are nothing more than a charlatan and a hack. In Washington, we get reports that while experts agree you've been remarkably successful so far at keeping the ruse that you are a capable, worthwhile individual, a new report out this week indicates that today is the day they finally figure out, figure out you are a complete and utter fraud. 
The report compiled by the Pre-Pew Research Center states that sometime within the next 24 hours, people will find out that you have no idea what you're doing, that you've been faking it for years, and that through continuous lying and shameless posturing, you've actually managed to dupe virtually everyone around you. Though you've somehow gotten that far in life without anyone discovering you're not what you pretend to be, it's about to come crashing down, and not a minute too soon, to be frank, reads the report which goes on to note that you don't deserve anything you have. Not your job, not your relationship, not even your parents' love, and you know, you're incompetent. You're pretty, you're, you're pretty, you're vain, you're barely keeping it together because beneath that confident exterior you project and your little charade is just about over. It's humorous, but I think it hits us because we know what this is about, this idea of being exposed. This idea about being shown to be a fake. This idea that if people really knew what was in here about us, they would want nothing to do with us. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. That there is a problem with every single one of us. And that problem stems, y'all, from what the Bible would call sin. Now, I don't know about you. Have you ever felt like that? I know I have. You see, deep down, I know that there is something wrong with me. And here's the hard thing. I believe that you think this about you as well. That's sobering. Let me, let me just ask you a few questions. Why do you think that you are working so hard to get that job? I mean, is it because you feel like you have to prove yourself? If I get that job, I'll finally be somebody to realize. I mean, you, 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 you uh, rationalize. Why do you think that if you are single, that if he or she doesn't go out with you, that, that, that you're no one? You see, is there something there that would be afraid to be figured out? Why, for example, do you think that if you give yourself over to somebody sexually, to anybody that so much as looks as you, could be because you desperately, desperately long for somebody, anybody, to tell you, even if it's a lie, that you matter? Sobering words, I think. Why does your world come apart? If you don't get that group of people, whoever it is, that fraternity, that sorority, make that team, get into that program, what happens if you are left on the outside? And why does that crush you? Because deep down, we all painfully feel that there is something wrong with us. And that's what this sign is pointing to. Jesus is making this clear. He is saying, listen, I want you to know that we are longing to cover up who we really are. But the great news of the gospel, y'all, is this. Is that it not only tells us the truth about ourselves, it shows us the fix as well. And that's where we turn now, as we look at the sign showing us the provision as well. Look here in verse 4. Let's read it again what happens here. You remember, Jesus said to her, Woman, why does this have, what does this have to do with me? My hour is not yet come. Well, you see, the wine was out. And Mary tells Jesus, Listen, uh, can you make some more wine in essence? Now listen, this is very, very interesting. We, we kind of have to dig in just a little bit. So I need for you to put on your, your smart people cap here for about two minutes. Okay? Hang with me on this. I want you to see that from the very beginning, Jesus said this. He said, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour is not yet come. She is saying, Will you make some more wine? The party's about to end. Shame is about to come upon these people. 
And he looks at his mother and he says, my hour is not yet come. But did you notice just a few ref, few points later, he actually does the thing that he says he doesn't want to do. Now that's very, very interesting. Why the no, then the yes. And here's what it is. The hour there, the hour that is being referenced when Jesus says that, it is not the hour to do His first miracle. That's not what He's talking about. The hour there in John chapter 2-4 refers to His death. It's very interesting. Keep your thinking caps on. Anytime John mentions this, seven times in the book of John, I could give you the references if you want to see them, you could come up. But the hour in John, when it refers to it like this, is always, always, always referencing John's death. Now listen, let me, let me, let me tell you what's happened here. Jesus, Mary has basically said, make some more wine. Jesus responds, it's not time for me to die. <laughs> make some more wine, it's not time for me to die. That sounds crazy. If you think that's a non sequitur, you were thinking very, very clearly, okay? But, but, I think that there's more going on in this text than the eye, and here's why. You see, do you know in the Old Testament that the picture of wine was a mark of God's richest and deepest blessings? It was a picture of great celebration, much like it is to, if you've ever been to a big feast and there's food being served, wine is right there with it, right there is a picture of God's blessings and deepest bounty. Listen to what happens in uh, what the prophet Isaiah says. He says this in Isaiah 25, 6, if you want to write that down. Jesus is, I mean, the, the prophet is talking about the time when God will restore all things. And it says this, that on this mountain, the Lord of will make for all people a rich, a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. The picture of the restoration of all things, of heaven itself, is a picture of the best vintages that you could possibly imagine brimming your cup over. The prophet Amos says the same thing when he says this in 9.13, when he said, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes him who sows the seed, the mountains shall drip with wine and all the hills shall flow with it. The picture there is, is that when the new heavens and new earth come, it's like the mountains themselves, there is so much wine, the best vintage that it's flowing down the streets. That's the picture. And why would that be so important? Jesus is saying that this is the world that He will bring about. But the question comes, how will that come about? And the answer is, he is thinking of his hour. He will have to die. Y'all look, this isn't just a story before about Jesus fixing a social faux pas. It's about the great lengths to which God will go to rescue you and me to bring him, to bring you back to him. Let me put it like this. This is one thing that Keller picked up on in that book. He says this. <coughs> How many of y'all have ever been to a wedding? Anybody in here married? Okay. <clears throat> when you go to a wedding, ready? When you go to a wedding, what are you thinking about? The after party. That's good. I don't blame you. That's good. How many of you begin to think, hmm, 
know, at my wedding, I think I'll, uh, I think I'll, I like that. Or what will I wear? Or what will be said then? Right? And Keller points out that Jesus is no different than you and me. That what's going on at this wedding is that he's thinking about his own wedding and the bride that he will secure for himself. Now what is, what is profoundly amazing in this is that I want you to hear me say this. That Jesus has come, y'all, that He has come to die and to rescue to Himself sinners. And we're going to look at this image of His own wedding in just a moment, but I, I just want to tease you just for a second. I want to just give you a tip off the tongue because I want you to understand what God is, is, is doing here in this text. But here's the thing I want you to see now. I want you to see that there is nothing therefore because Jesus has come to save sinners and not perfect people. That there is nothing that can keep you from Him. Period. No sin, however bad you think you might be, can ever outdo His grace to you. His grace freely given. You cannot earn it. He saves you at your worst. The onion secret really is out, y'all. We are all hot messes. Jesus delights to save Hot messes. As Herman Melville once said, that writer who said, Heaven, have mercy on us all, Presbyterians and pagans alike, for we are all somehow dreadfully cracked about the head and sadly need mending. The true of you? Do you know you're cracked about the headness? You're longing for mending? The promise of the gospel is that's what you, that's what you get in Jesus. He comes save the farthest out. Jesus has come as the great true Lord of the banquet and the true bridegroom. And it's to there that we now turn because I want you to see that this sign shows us as well, points as well to a great promise too. Did you see it there in verse 11 where he says, this is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee. You remember I started off by asking you this. Why this sign? Why not healing the blind? Why not making a, a man come from the dead? Why not casting out a demon? Something fantastic and showy. Why this sign? Because I want you to see that this is what Jesus, y'all, has come to bring about. His very mission, y'all, Remember, wine is about joy. It's about blessings and celebration. And the promise is this, that there is a day coming because of Jesus' death and resurrection where we ourselves will experience forever our very own marriage to Jesus. You see, the great thing that this small little act of turning water into wine is all about is Jesus is saying, listen, I want you to know why I have come. That I have come to bring festal joy. That what's at the very heart of what I'm all about is celebration. Is happiness. Is delight. Forever delight. That's what I'm about. I didn't come to, to reform religion, to make, to give you a better set of code of ethics to sort of live by. Uh-uh. I came to bring the party. The party. That's what I came to bring. And guess who's throwing it? God Himself. That's what the text is telling us. That this miracle is all about. Now think about that. That's Jesus' calling card, y'all. 
That's the thing he wants to come out of the gates with. Celebration. Joy. That's what he wants us to know. If you were to turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 19, you would read of this. It says this. Then I heard. This is at the end of the story. y'all. This is the final scene of cosmic history where Jesus, the great bridegroom, has now rescued His people, you and me, the church, and has put us together with Him forever. And this is the picture. It blows mind every time I read it. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude like the roar of many waters and the sound of mighty peals of thunder. The cries were so loud and here's what the cries were saying. As loud as the thunder that you heard tonight. Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. Why? Why are we celebrating? Because of this. The marriage of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. Do you know the picture for heaven itself is a feast? It's a wedding feast. What's the best party you've ever been to? The best after party, like this man has said, doesn't hold a candle to what's in store for God's people. The great joy and the great celebration that is ours. And that's what Jesus wants you to see for all eternity, not just for when you die, but for today. For today, there is real joy on offer. We were at a wedding this weekend. My brother-in-law got married. And it was 9.30 at night. My daughters were dancing their little bottoms off all night long. These little three-year-olds were showing us adults up. And there was something amazing about that. Because they understood what it meant to party. See, do you know how to celebrate? What do you think the Christian life's all about? I'm being serious. Did you conceive of Christianity as a cosmic celebration because God has rescued sinners? As we're walking away from the party, Audrey breaks down in tears and she says, I don't want to leave, Daddy. I just want to dance. Now listen, maybe Audrey's teaching us something. Maybe she knows about the party that's supposed to go on forever. Maybe she knows something about what it means to truly celebrate and to celebrate all of the goodness that God has poured out on His people. That's what I think that, uh, that we need and must see that this great promise is ours and it is yours. It is yours, not just when you die. It is yours now if you are in Jesus. The great writer G.K. Chesterton once wrote, Joy, which is the small publicity of the pagan, is the gigantic secret of the Christian. There was something that Jesus hid from all men when He was up on a mountain to pray. There was something that He covered constantly. By abrupt silence or impetuous isolation, there was one thing that was too great for God to show us when He walked upon the earth. And I have sometimes fancied that that is His mirth, His joy. Y'all, I want you to see that what this is telling us is that the sign that this is pointing to is that Jesus has come to bring festal joy to you and to me. How does He do it? By His death. He brings about the joy by the death. That's how He gets His bride. That's how He wins her. And He's thinking about you 
He's thinking about me way back there in Canaan. One writer, Ed Clowney, put it like this, and I'll leave you with this. He says, Jesus sat amidst all the joy of the wedding feast, sipping the coming sorrow, so that today you and I, who believe in Him, can sit amidst all the world's sorrow, sipping the coming joy. That's yours and mine. It's true of you and me tonight. It's great news, y'all. Let's pray.